Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity recorded in the pod at White City Place. I'm David Michon. The world of Silicon Valley tech startups was once viewed with great admiration and optimism. Could they save the world through their philosophy of moving fast and disrupting industries? Well, the answer seems to be kind of. Turns out that a pure profit motive isn't the key to social betterment. And with the state of the world today, new attitudes towards investment, growth, and even capitalism in general are taking root and shaping the types of startups we see emerging. In the pod today, two entrepreneurs who reflect on the conversations they've had with investors and the importance of having genuine social value at the core of your business, plus why establishing positive company culture from day one is crucial. My name is Sophie Rochester and I'm the CEO of Yodamo. It's a new online marketplace for learning skills and we're concentrating on arts, design and crafts as our focus. Um, my name is Miranda West and I'm the founder and publisher of The Do Book Company and we publish books largely for creative entrepreneurs, makers and doers. Um, the company launched in 2013 and we've now got worldwide distribution of our titles. Sophie has worked in digital content for over 20 years. Recently, she set up a new venture, Yodamo. As a keen weekend maker, she saw an opportunity for a curated online marketplace for arts, crafts, and design learning. In 2018, she raised investment through Cedars to take her vision forward and has since been forging a third-way startup pathway for Yodamo. Miranda is the founder of The Do Book Company, an independent publishing house based in Shoreditch. Launched in 2013, the company publishes a branded series of inspirational pocket guides for creative entrepreneurs, makers, and doers. Beautifully designed, these concise guidebooks are written by leading experts, all former speakers of the Do Lectures, an annual event held in West Wales. The collection was shortlisted in the Best Brand Series Identity category of the British Book Design and Production Awards in 2015. Prior to setting up and running Do Books, Miranda spent over two decades working in the publishing industry, most recently at Penguin Random House. Both Sophie and Miranda have been listed as two of the top 10 British Council UK creative entrepreneurs on the Guardian Professionals H Club 100 Most Influential and Innovative list. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about, uh, well, we've given it a title, which is Move Slowly and Make Things, partly because we both work with makers. And uh, Move Slowly and Make Things is something that we talk about in our team at work quite a bit. It's almost like an antithesis to the Facebook thing, which is move fast and break things, which almost now feels like quite a an old way of looking at startup or an old sentiment of um, developing businesses. And I just wondered, because we both sort of started our businesses in the last five years, whether or not you also have found that attitudes towards business and growth and investment seem to be changing around us as we're working, because that's how it feels to our team. Yeah, I think, well, firstly, I think it's quite ironic that we're both doing a podcast that's with Move Slowly because we probably move around um, very quickly a lot of the time. Um, and anyone that started a business would know that actually you probably work harder doing that to get it up and running than you have done on anything in your life previously. Um, but yes, having said that, I think when I started Do Books, I quite quickly found that I was operating outside of this sort of startup bubble, even though the environment was very much pro startup and then, you know, have a go and you could do it. And I think maybe that came out of the sort of 
Silicon Valley, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks and you were seeing younger people starting businesses. So it was quite felt quite accessible um, and it felt like you could do it. Um, but and interestingly, I feel that actually now I'm sort of morphing more towards and to your point that actually because we started over the last five years, we're in this sort of period of change with regards investment, which I think we're going to come on to. Um, and it's interesting observing those changes and those sort of changing attitudes and mindsets towards what constitutes a business that's worth investing in. Um, I mean, when I started, I'd say that Do Books is quite, was traditionally bootstrap, you know, it's the bootstrapped mm -hmm. model, which was I tried to get investment um, from a couple of people who names I was recommended um, and the business should have been of interest to them because it was publishing, it was books, it was ideas. There was a bit of tech in there as well with ebooks and that kind of thing. And uh, in the first meeting, you know, presented my plan and they were very much, uh, we love it, but unless it's going to scale to three million in the first three years, then we can't invest. Yeah. Um, and actually like that was, yeah. And that was the sort of sense I got. So then I just went off and started anyway, because actually having those meetings and being turned down was actually preventing me and stopping me from starting, you know. So I suppose it's that Seth Godin, you know, start small, start now. So I just sort of got going and then forgot about all that um, and have been quite bootstrappy ever since. But it's worked. There's you know. so much money that was sort of piled into tech startups specifically, I suppose, where uh, there's a lot of investment going into startups with a view that they would grow those companies really quickly, that it it felt almost like the um, the starting point had shifted. So what you would think would be like a minimum viable product or the lean startup approach, suddenly startup like Series A, which normally would have been a million, is now deemed to be more like... Three million, and everything seems to have shifted. Like your first investment round could easily be half a million now, when you know four, five years ago it might have been two hundred thousand. So all of these things seem to be shifting a bit, and the that it, it feels like the the attitudes to growth now are changing, though partly driven mm. by sustainability, maybe, or our attitudes towards um, capitalism. Even you know this mm. idea of this kind of conscious consumer that's emerging, and um, the idea that growth for growth's sake <laughs> or you know the, the the attitude of just growing really fast doesn't always it's not always good for the planet it's not always good for politics and it doesn't it, always work and it doesn't always work and I think actually what you've done is amazing with do books because you did just get going and actually the bootstrapping is another one that really makes me laugh because <laughs> bootstrapping like when I heard the term bootstrapping I just assumed it was like yes you know you'd be working out of your bedroom yeah and but what I've come to learn now especially having been in this sort of investment world in the last couple of years is that you meet people who say yes yeah I've been bootstrapping for two years but it turns out that they used to be a hedge fund manager or oh, yes. they used to be an investment manager yeah, basically so course, some very wealthy friends <laughs> yeah exactly so um, th this concept actually there are very few people that really do just start but having said that now when I speak to people and I say, I've genuinely been bootstrapping for a year, they love that because what they say is, it's great for you to learn mistakes not on our time and not on our yeah. money. That's what they like to see, that you've kind of just, just started. Well, and also then that you're still in business after a year, totally. which is the critical year when most startups fail. Um, 
so actually, yeah, you've sort of done the legwork. But actually, I suppose we should say that um, my bootstrapping was to put some sort of family savings in. But actually, you've gone ahead and you did successfully get first round of investment. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a there was a period before that. So I mean, it depends mm. which where you see the beginning of the journey. So before we did our equity crowdfunding round with Cedars, there had been a whole year and a half before that, which yeah. was a very classic startup journey, which is meet a co-founder, get really excited, go out on a joint venture, work Buy out... Buy some post-it notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stick them Print on the wall. some tote bags. <laughs> um, get, and then that the, the classic thing is six months down the line, realise that the co-founder's not really going to be the relationship that you thought it was. Yeah. Starting again, looking at what you've got, have you got enough to move forward? How do you move forward from a different point again? Well, and also I think in that sense, it's like actually if I am going to try and get investment for this, which is what's predominantly create, classed as a creative business, what exactly do I want that money for? And I think didn't yours change slightly? There was going to be an app, but then actually you realised that it was a different part of the business I think you basically you're fine tuning your concept, aren't you? Yeah. That hold. I mean, almost every day um, in well, that first year. Yeah, and I think that's that is the classic thing. So to be fair to investment funds, the point at which they like to come in is where they can see that you've got product market fit, that you've worked out yeah. how to sell something, and that then you're just going to stick some money in work out, bring some expertise as well, and then just grow that really quickly. And then that's a great strategy. But I had a hilarious call from somebody last week. So we've got to the stage now is because Cedars, we got investment from Cedars a year ago. And what must happen, because I've had quite a few calls in the last month, is you must be on some kind of radar, which is the they must be running out of money soon, radar. Oh, yes. So lots They'll of people have an start... algorithm yeah, for that. Yeah, exactly. So they get in touch. One of them literally did say they had an algorithm. Um, so they get in touch saying, how are you getting on? And one of them, I won't mention, like a very well-known investment fund got in touch saying, yeah, we, we're really prepared to invest between 1 and 16 million now. Yeah. Um, but you need to be doing 50,000 per calendar month, like recurring revenue, which is, again, mm. a very standard startup thing, like they want right. to see recurring revenues. And... Uh, that to me was quite telling because I was thinking, God, actually, it, that takes a lot to go from zero to 50K per yeah. calendar month in a year. Like, yes. I don't know how many companies are actually really doing that. And and I wonder whether or not, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. I think the the sort of, the, the kind of growth hacking mentality where you just plow money into Facebook ads or plow money into Google ads yes. in order to grow the audiences, which you then take to the next investment round, who then plow more money in. Yes. And then you end up with these weird sort of IPOs where... That aren't actually... There's no business there. There's no authentic, yeah. And it's all very smoke and mirrors. Totally. Because actually it's build up, built up on something that has very little foundation yeah. um, or engagement. And I think maybe that's what people are wising up to. And maybe maybe that's what investors are wising up to now, is that actually they do want to invest in businesses that are sustainable in the sense that they have a strong base and a strong foundation. So if you pulled away one of those pillars, the business would still still run and still yeah. operate. Yeah, I mean, I remember having a conversation quite early on with somebody who said that the UK had been sold this kind of Silicon Valley dream, which was this kind of, you know, quick startup in and out in three years for investors. Mm. Um, but actually, when you look at the historical data, there are very, very few companies that have ever done that in the UK, basically. So it's, right. So, so now when I speak to angel investors, often they'll say things like, 
I understand that this is going to be an eight to ten year journey. And that's quite reassuring in a way because yeah. you think, well, okay, that's that's good. Maybe that's different with angel investors to venture capitalists. I know it's probably a different different area. Um, but I definitely feel like there's yeah, there's the sustainability in terms of the business being sustainable. But also I think the other interesting thing now, which is interesting for the creative industries, is that there's um, a different attitude towards what you know making, for example. Um, so we just got into this Deutsche Bank accelerator, which is part of their fund, which is called Made for Good. So it's a, it's a fund that's been created spe- spe- specifically to support companies who are thinking about um, sustainability of the planet, making things. Basically, it's, it's social enterprises or, mm. or companies with purpose. Um, and then the other thing as well is this other sort of rising tide, which is on the investment radar, which is that purpose-driven companies perform better. Yes, you know, if you actually can have... actually be quite profitable. Absolutely, I think it's just changing your your mindset and the, as you know, your sort of perspective, and actually just taking a longer-term view of some of these businesses. I mean, I think when I started, I mean, publishing. To a degree, it just, I mean, I suppose it's like the making. It actually just takes time. So I was, I felt very uncomfortable promising, you know, investors and anyone else that was, could be bothered to listen, um, that I was going to have this amazing publishing house that was going to be, you know, have world world domination in, you know, the first sort of two years. And it just didn't sit comfortably with me because I knew it was just going to take time because it takes time to write the books to, you know, to produce the books, to sort of sell them. Um, so I suppose it's a different industry, to be fair. Maybe it's more yeah. of a lifestyle brand. I don't know. Oh, no, absolutely. But, no, I think that's, that, that's one of the, the challenges that we've got now because we've gone out with this message, which is all about quality and about how, you know, all of our courses are with quality curated tutors and that we're trying to reach a specific audience that appreciate that quality. Um, but how do you scale that? And that's that's one of the big mm. challenges that we've had. And uh, I think... And can you scale it? Can you scale it? it? Well, the, the big question is around user-generated content. So, you know, originally people were saying, oh, just get any of the makers just putting up their content, which was almost the antithesis of what we'd set out to do because then you're just creating a, another YouTube. YouTube but without all of their money. <laughs> so, um, so we've had to think really carefully about that. But there are ways that you can scale. So, for example... Um, one of the things we're doing at the moment is looking at how we can empower makers to create the content themselves by giving them the tools and the knowledge to do that. So we effectively train them up to be better content creators and then they can go onto the platform. So there is a kind of, there is a way of scaling it. But I also wonder whether or not, and this is actually something that's quite interesting around growth as well, is whether or not this idea that in order to be a successful business, you have to catch all of the market and you have to mm. you have to basically grow at such a rate that that it does often dilute the brand really quickly, or you risk risk it, like reducing Lose, the quality, and then you've and kind losing of losing sight your of what you're trying to exactly, do and exactly. why you're existing. Yeah, um, and also I think you know people are well entrepreneurs, certainly creative entrepreneurs, are giving more thought to their concept, core concept and they're sort of launching businesses that are slightly more considered and have a more of a long-term view, and also thinking about what they're putting out into the world as opposed to, oh, I just want to make another Twitter, or I just want to make another this or app, you know, Um, which is good, you know, which can only be a good thing. Yeah. You know, which ties in with the sort of sustainability aspect. Yeah, and that sort of... 
that's like a standard sort of pitch deck thing where you just say, we're going to be the so-and-so for Twitter, the Twitter for so-and-so, whatever it is. Mm. And um, and it becomes really tired. Actually, I had a brilliant meeting with an investor once where I went into the room and um, he said, right, well, show, show me your pitch deck. And he said, I, I'm just waiting to see the hockey stick. Show me the hockey stick. <laughs> because it's yeah. become so boring to him just to see, like, someone plotting their three-year growth saying, yes, yeah, so we're going to spend some money here. But then we're going to emerge from the flames suddenly like this. Yes. And he said he's never seen it. He's never seen it in all his years Oh, of no one's emerged from the flames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, well, I guess that's probably another question. But yeah. I think his point was that, you know, building businesses... I guess that's the the other thing is whether or not tech startup is just a very different thing. You know, it's it's is is that is it in a land of its own, and is it does it sit in a completely kind of distinct? Well, and also, will it sort of continue? I suppose, or is it of its time? You know, now we've seen sort of you know Twitter and Instagram and you know Facebooks and the Googles. Yeah, but also importantly, things like Uber, like the the IPO for Uber and. And, you know, that was just mind-boggling. Like, I was listening to that thinking, how is it possible <laughs> that mm. they are saying that they will never be profitable? And yet, you know, it's like They're all so of it, it's like a, it feels like a sort of global pyramid scheme almost where you're just like, if you're in at the wrong point, then you're mm. just never going to get anything out. But no, I do, I think... There is definitely actually what one thing that is interesting in Silicon Valley is that they've got this movement now. So it's not the unicorns, yeah. Um, it's the zebras. Have you oh, seen yeah. that? No. no. What's the zebra? So <laughs> the zebras. Are we seeing zebras? Uh, as well? So they are a new generation of startups coming out of Silicon Valley who are basically trying to um, ensure that they have a purpose, that oh, they have God. like social okay. supporting global sustainability development yes. goals um, that they're driven to basically create a better planet and you well, know I think that's which really, is really good yeah. and I'll be interested to know what those businesses are yeah. and how they differ from you know your standard sort of you know Silicon Valley well I think it's probably quite based. similar to the B Corp uh, yeah. system which the is basically trying to yeah exactly trying to think about how um, well, I suppose putting the planet first. Putting the planet um, first. And also putting yeah. it at the heart of like what they sort of do. And also companies like Patagonia with their earth tax, so they give 1% of their profits back to, um, you know, in, into sort of things that support the planet and the environment. Yeah. Um, but similarly, it's a huge company, you know, and it's a commercial business. You know, it is profitable. Well, I've just said it is. I assume it is. <laughs> but um, therefore it's true. Um you know, and it has an engaged community and, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. No. And also I think, you know, it's... Is it still independent? I think so. I yeah, think well, so. what's interesting with Patagonia was that I just was reading recently about how they have not only tried to instil the sustainability message internally, but now it's it's externally as well with anyone that they partner with or anyone that's trying to basically interact with their brand has to also be adhering to the same oh, principles policy, and principles. values. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is interesting. I wonder whether or not this idea that you're there's more accountability put onto businesses that it changes the the way that they decide to grow. Mm. Um, for example, Mark Carney was on, I, I can't remember which what he was talking about specifically, but he was talking about how investment funds needed to feel as if they were, they would be held accountable if they invested in things that didn't support sustainability. That, you know, he's trying mm. to say that there should be, the investment world ought to take responsibility for what they are funding yeah. because 
they have a responsibility to the planet as well. And do their due diligence before they Absolutely. Commit yeah. Yeah. And is that business still going to be there in 10 years? And yeah. is indeed the planet going to still be there in 10 years? Well, it's, I definitely feel like there's a shift change in the way investment funds are even advertising themselves. So I get Bloomsburg Business mm. Week like a real nerd. And there's like a couple of investment firms now that advertise in their... And it's all like pictures of their grandchildren and oh, thinking about and legacy. And yeah, so it's like going back to the true meaning of the word investment, which is, you know, investing for the future as opposed to the sort mm. of the word that's now synonymous with business, which is investing for quick return on investment. I don't know. It's just, I do feel like there's a, a shift, which is. Yeah, if you if you genuinely want to, I mean, obviously people want to invest and they want to make some make money. some money, but I wonder whether or not um, there will be a slight shift in how long they would expect that money to come back, and whether or not they mm. might invest in businesses that they genuinely feel are doing something good. Yes, um, and that that might Still take profitable. precedence over something that. Doesn't. I mean, I think your ideal investor is somebody that sort of come, you know sort of says I'll see you in 10 years you know you go off and start the business I'm going to sit back I like what you're doing you know I like the values and the principles and the concept and your purpose um and I'm going to come back in 10 years and see where you are you're getting on yeah yeah I've got a couple I think who are a bit like that like they're very quiet but then they send the (laughs) odd reassuring email just like yeah you're doing all right it's okay but yeah yeah, that that is it takes time to build something doesn't it I think that's what we both you know we both found I'm in my sixth year you're in your what third third year And and it feels like we both started last week I wonder whether that's something to do with because we're both trying and this like you pointed out before about publishing about how the the value in publishing comes with its list and its backlist and mm. often in publishing terms you're talking evergreen. about the yeah exactly evergreen content yeah and I was talking to somebody actually from a large magazine house which I won't mention name their names. names but they said that they'd completely reconstituted their magazine content and broken it all up and that they were now redistributing it across different magazines so if a magazine wanted something on terrariums for example they would just take it out of another magazine's backlist so they were rarely even if it had been published before yeah very much so yeah yeah and rarely were commissioning new content i I think only 15 percent of its entire output then was newly newly um, commissioned content. I yeah. was really surprised, although it totally Which made sense. Which is good and bad, yeah. though. I mean, we sort of reuse content, you know. I mean, we've got a sort of blog on Medium. And if I think that the piece... Because also, if you're putting things out on social media, who's reading it anyway? So many people miss it. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think there's nothing wrong in, like, six months or 12 months sort of just putting that same content out there. Oh, yeah. Perhaps. I mean, we... You know, yeah, I oh, know, absolutely. I mean, we, we go for evergreen content as well. Actually, yeah, because some businesses I know where they um, are doing online learning for something which might have a digital uh, or a technology element to it, which is actually really hard because that goes out of date so quickly. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying there's only one way to whittle a spoon. Doesn't matter. Yes. We, we only have to film it once and we can be wheeling that one out for yeah. until time ends, basically. Well, we'll be whittling spoons again soon. Well, and also, that's what's going to sort of strengthen the business. Or well, you might have to whittle your spoons a bit quicker <laughs> if you don't. <laughs> that's what makes the business sustainable. I mean, when I sort of commission books, you know, I've got one eye on, okay, what's 
what's interest, what's exciting now, what's zeitgeisty, but also, well, what are the sort of perennial things that people are going to be interested in? So you're sort of finding a sweet spot somewhere um, because ultimately you want that book to be in print for a long time. Because if you're constantly just putting new books out there all the time, which is how a lot of the bigger publishing houses work, um, that's not sustainable. I mean, it is for them because they're doing big celebrity books. So they, you know, the print runs are so high that actually it's fine. They can offset their startup costs. But actually what you want is a really strong backlist so that you've got a larger number of books that are reprinting over a period of time. And that's when you have a really sort of strong publishing house. Yeah, um, that sounds good. But you're working towards that. That's good. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we've that's one of our biggest assets, I think, is the backlist, you know, which accounts for like 60, 70 percent of our sales. And I think for a lot of publishers, that's upended, you know, yeah. like 70, 80 percent might be front list and then 20 percent will be sort of backlist. I mean, you know, the holy grail is and actually this might be the case with your um, online tutorials is to have, you know, the holy grail of publishing is books are books like um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, mm. Dale Carnegie, which was published in the 30s and it's reprints all the time. Um, you know, I mean, actually more sort of modern day books like Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Work Week, um, but also things, the classics like Who Moved My Cheese. <laughs> I mean, that's when you're really winning is that you're actually like the content is so strong that people, it's still relevant. People still want to read it. Mm. Um, yeah, that's the real skill, isn't it? Yeah, and that's where you have to put a bit of time into your publishing. Yeah. Because it's like, actually, you just don't want to turn out any old crap. It's like, is someone going to be interested in reading this in two years' time? Well, I'd hope so, Yeah, you know. Yeah, it is difficult. It's funny thinking about publishing in the context of growth now, having been out of that industry for a couple of years now. And mm. so thinking about how, you know... How do you grow a business like a publishing business when exactly all the reasons you say, like there must be a whole level of books that are now much harder for publishers when you've got blog content, online content, video content, whatever mm. it is, competing with the, the latest trend or the latest celebrity. So it almost becomes harder for them to put something out. Like I know there was a big trend recently for just publishing YouTube um, oh, well, I think that trend continues uh, no, well, with vloggers. Although I have heard that it's not doing as well as at yeah. the beginning. So I think that, you know, you, you go yeah. through these things where it almost just becomes saturated really quickly. You're listening to Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. In conversation are Sophie Rochester, founder of Yodemo, and Miranda West, founder of the Do Book Company. With your books, like so, like because I know that you, a lot of your books do um, cover off subject areas that are really helpful to start up. So things like do legal, oh, do protect, do protect, legal advice for startups. Legal, yeah, yeah that's, I've the read do that. purpose book. Yeah. So actually, the books we publish are kind of for creative entrepreneurs who are interested in starting a purpose-driven brand, or they're interested in telling the story about why, telling the story about why they're even operational. You know, operating. Mm. Um, so, yes, I suppose that is who we publish for, you know, and actually we love companies like Patagonia and stuff. Um, and someone like that, so if we do scale, is it do scale? Oh, yeah. One? And is, does he um, talk about this at all, like a sort of different, because I feel like there's a third way emerging almost. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's So like you're a, scaling up, but it's yes. sustainable at the same time. Yes. So it's sort of scalable sustainable growth yes um, um responsible growth somehow that you're actually yeah. you're growing your company 
with some kind of social responsibility. I think so. And also, I think that filters down to the people that you work with and how they're treated and, you know, whether... I mean, we did oh, another book absolutely. called Do, Do Pause. <laughs> and um, which was very much like how, you know, this world we're living in, is it sustainable to be sort of rushing around the whole time, you know, to be sort of on social media the entire time, killing yourself over your, you know, business or your work and stuff. And it was that's just about having sort of more periods of pause on a sort of small or large scale in your life. So that actually, I suppose, which has come out of the mindfulness movement, but rather yeah. than sort of sitting there and meditating for an hour a day, it's like actually maybe you just sort of step, take a minute before you enter a room um, so you're not constantly going from one thing to the next. Oh, my God. I mean, I think so that's So it's a more so... sustainable approach to your mental health. Yes. <laughs> but actually, that does filter through to business and start mm. up a bit, going the other way. So, I mean, I definitely feel like we live in a world that's too much information anyway. Mm. And uh, certainly with colleagues that work on social media, I have to say to them all the time, you're never going to finish all of the things that you could possibly be doing on social media for you yes. at the moment because it's a bottomless pit. You could literally just keep going, keep going, yeah. keep going. So at some point in your day, you have to just say, just step I've back. done that. And there's this one book, I haven't read it yet, but Katie's reading it at work, which is called The One Thing. And it's it's the business approach to that, which is rather than concentrating on like all of the different bits of data gathering that you can do and thinking about all of the aspects that you could be measuring within the business and where you can, might be able to grow your business, you just concentrate on the one metric that matters and you try and concentrate on that metric and just focus on that. So, yeah, that, it does that work? Apparently. Because I kind of think you do have to like cover quite a broad base. I mean, like to sell a book, I sort of think of it like a funnel. So it's like, okay, so we'll have a bit, you know, we'll have some stuff on social media, we'll have sort of blog posts, we'll have bookshops, you know, sales. And all of that goes into the funnel. Maybe your one metric is to sell books, though. Maybe. Sell book sales. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It's probably doesn't sound very exciting, though. <laughs> <laughs> or purposeful. <laughs> no, but I think there is, that, there is that, which is that I think that this problem probably is probably for companies where you've got multiple revenue streams, possibly, and multiple ways mm. of trying to squeeze money out of content, for example. Whereas actually, you've got quite a clear marketing funnel, which is, like you say, all of that social at the top yeah. and funneling down. But yeah. Also, I, mean, I think it's the job of the founder, isn't it, to have quite a to have an overview yeah. of almost everything, yeah. which is probably why. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's quite interesting where we're at at the moment because we we started out as this consumer proposition and it was all about trying to get... I mean, our mission is about trying to get more people to reach their creative potential. Beautiful. Thanks. <laughs> and um, the idea is that we deliver these online tutorials that encourage more people to be creative and... Um, and what we've found recently is we've started going into businesses. So we started and for the to the staff to the staff and fitting into their well-being gender, oh, which is great. Yeah. So that's that's all good, and it's actually working really well for us. And are the business is quite receptive to Very that. Very much so. Yeah. So this is part of their HR. It's HR wellness. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of it. About See, that's interesting. That. So what actually, and that does suggest that businesses are fundamentally changing because back in the day that would never have happened. Where your oh, absolutely. boss would say, "Oh, here you are. Here's a nice tutorial. Go and do some learn how to bake yeah. a loaf of bread tonight." Well, I mean, I don't want to give your age away, but we are of a generation where we would have been in first jobs. Way <laughs> you may you may <laughs> not have mentioned that you might be within childbearing years, <laughs> or that, <laughs> that you might want to leave the office before ten a.m. ten p.m. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think. 
No, so my point about the B2B offer, obviously just telling you about it anyway, but is that what I'm getting to now is that people are saying it, sometimes it's better to pick a team like mm. much to have like a, a single focus on business for growth. Like if you if you really want to just think about growing one part of the business, then don't start spinning off too many things because mm. actually you could then find yourself with a... You're not the, successful at well, any of them. at startup phase as well, you're probably not going to have the team to be able to support all of it. So at mm. some point you might have to just choose a channel or choose yeah. choose a one one thing. But yes, no, I think you're right. The, the wellness bit is completely new although I saw somebody on LinkedIn the other day who was saying um <laughs> they they found the wellness programs really interesting they said it would just be great if you could just give me a pay rise <laughs> so actually yeah. then I think, I'd feel a whole lot I'd be able better. to go on holiday <laughs> yeah yeah that's so true yeah so I wonder if this is a way business is actually like just remunerating staff a bit yeah. better no so I like, think there's but, definitely yeah, something there and I think actually what it is which comes does tie into this conversation actually which is about almost corporate responsibility and, yes and um, that they've almost asked being asked to behave like the mothership and mm. it's like I have to look, look after, after my children staff. yeah which well, is quite nice better for them isn't it because then there's sort of less sort of you know you haven't got the sort of fast staff turn you know turnover of staff yeah oh I'm quickly. sure that someone has done the numbers which is yeah actually it costs me x amount so when this person signs them off sick for mental health for yes and, and we have to get a replacement yeah, in. exactly so I suppose it becomes about staff retention but maybe you know that's not a bad thing no and actually uh so Richard who you know as well Townsend mm. like they've they he says that one of the most important things about growing a company is actually growing the culture Yes. At the same time. You know, it's not something that you plug in later on. Yes, the two go hand in hand. It's something that you have declared and decided on at the beginning and that you just try and grow with that and make sure that you look after your staff. Mm. And I think that's, I do feel like a lot more companies are seeing that the culture element of it is really important as you grow. I think on a smaller scale in the sort of Gandhi be the change, I'm trying to give... (laughs) <laughs> we don't have many staff at all. You stop shopping but in Primark. I'm tr- yeah, I'm trying to do preemptive uh, wage increases. Oh, so nice. rather than wait for the person to come to you and say, oh, can I have a pay rise, please? Which I've basically spent my entire working life having to do. Yeah. Um, because it would get to the stage where actually you were doing a job where you knew that you should be like sort of three, four rungs up the pay ladder, but you weren't. Um, so I'm just trying to do that. Good. And then it's a nice thing. Yeah, really And nice. you're recognising that the work that they've done, you know, yeah. today and... Yeah, I mean, it's a long time since I've worked in a corporate. It's been probably mm. since Random House, really. Yeah. And I, so I don't really know how they well, approach have your that annual now, review, your annual you? review. And at the end, you'd sort of say, and it would be great if I could have a bit more money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then they say, time's yoga. up. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that, but you can whittle some spoons. Here's your login. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. No, but I think yeah. the, the cultural bit is interesting. I do think there's... I th- I really applaud it. I think it's great, you know, to have yeah. someone like, you know, PwC or whoever it is championing wellness programmes. Yeah. Brilliant, you know. That, yeah. That should be the way forward. Um, and, you know, I think there is... Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of potential there, but it it, I, it does smack of kind of a, a different attitude towards corporate life, which is... Maybe it's something mm. to do with actually the fact that 
the difference between the workplace and home now is so intertwined because of your mobile phone yes. that it's very difficult to stop. So I think to summarise back to the initial, you know, the title of this episode, which is Move Slowly, Make Things, how new creative businesses are approaching startup differently. I think this also, the world is changing and I think we're seeing the signs, you know, and that's on, you know, for investors, for also the entrepreneurs that are starting the businesses. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's nuanced and there's a, a myriad reasons why that is. And I think it is to do with more female entrepreneurs coming through. You know, the younger generation are asking more questions. Consumers um, are asking more questions. Consumers are asking more questions, you know, about the provenance of things and they expect answers and that's legitimate. They should, you know, should be given answers. Um, you know, the rise of the sort of purpose-driven brand. Um, I think just having a reason to go to work every day, to know why you're doing what you're doing is important to people, to individuals. Yeah. And I think certainly for entrepreneurs, it is that you have to just turn up every day and just keep chipping away, which we've both found um, over the last sort of few years. There isn't this sort of sudden growth. You know, you're not suddenly like projected out into the sort of stratosphere because you've had like this. Yeah, you know, or that there might be a point at which there is that time to scale but that you may be wanting to ensure that you've got the foundations right first. Mm. And that's actually certainly one of the things that I've seen is that um, startups that we worked with maybe four or five years ago, where they would be evidently been given too much money too soon yes. and were just spending it on products the that nobody things. wanted. And, yeah. you know, like thinking about it now, I, actually, I think the the approach of actually bootstrapping for as long as possible and just try, growing out and trying to work out how your business is going to tick all of the things that you just said. Mm. Um, that's actually quite an interesting and exciting period yeah. to be working in. And um, I think definitely it's it's there's a top-down thing, which is like Mark Carney trying to... Uh, and governments, so a legislative level, mm. which is about how do you responsibly invest in companies? And and then there's the bottom-up, bottom up. which is the conscious consumers yeah. and thinking about uh, business for sustainability. Mm. And also I think it's just, you know, thinking about what you're putting out into the world. I think we all know now the world doesn't need more crap. So, you yes. know, if you're going to sort of start a business, then make sure it's considered. Is it actually needed? Is it fun? Yeah. You know, is it going to sort of stimulate you as an entrepreneur and your team of people, you know, as an exciting proposition? Um, you know, and creative. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, I don't know about you, but I mean, certainly, you know, when you're tiny, tiny, and you sort of realise actually no one really cares. Oh, well, I had a great <laughs> conversation with someone. Until you sort of reach a certain level. And then you have a yeah. few people that start to say, oh, no, I love your books. Or, I love your work. But you do know. you know what it is? And someone really put this in a meeting, said it to me in a meeting, and it was like a really golden moment for me, which was, he said, oh, it's interesting, actually, because I saw you two years ago and he said, it's like the world's caught up with your proposition. Yeah, And I was just like, actually, that's right. That's yeah. basically it. And so likewise, well, likewise for you, it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, yeah. talk to an investor five years ago about make, do and mend, you know, yeah. darning Told socks. to leave the room. <laughs> literally been told yeah. to You probably would have been ejected from yeah. the special seats. But, you know, now you, I'm going into people that are, you know, really, really genuinely interested. Yeah. yeah it's got to be a good thing. Well, and also I think interested in, okay, so how do we do something that's considered but is also profitable? Absolutely. So I think it's that sweet spot between the creative and the commercial. Yeah. And actually I think the two can coexist. Yeah. That was Sophie Rochester, founder of Yodemo, and Miranda West, founder of the Do Book Company. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at White City Place. 
Thought Starters is a DNN co-project for White City Place, produced by David Michaud, recorded and edited by Sean Crook. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com, on Twitter or Instagram with the handle at whitecityplace, or shoot us an email at podcast at whitecityplace.com. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and give us a rating and write a comment. It really helps.